Welcome to Lagrange Point, the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, where we talk about science, technology, and plausible things that are happening in our world, and ways that you too can use miraculous science for your own amusement. Today with us we have Lachlan. How you doing? And Lauren. Hello. And I'm Justin. We are the Young Scientists of Australia. We promote science to the youth of Australia. In today's podcast, we should be covering different topics, such as ethics, different things that are in the news at the moment relating to science, and extrapolating different theories, what is real and what is possible. We're going to kick things off now with our new section, The Launch Pad. And we're going to launch into some news right now with Lachlan. Today what I have for you is a scientific process that is going to turn shrimp into clothing. What are you talking about? I, that's putting another shrimp on the barbie, literally. We're not talking about Lady Gaga's fashion accessories here, Justin. Nor are we talking about awful Australian colloquialisms. What we're talking about um, is recycling of shrimp shells um, into the basic building blocks that can be used for stuff like nylon and to create clothing. So at the moment, they can take some stuff from these shells and turn them into biopesticides, which are things that kill infectious stuff in oceans and stuff like that. But they're taking this extraction process one step further and are actually turning these shells into their basic chemical building blocks, which can be transformed into nylon. This is a really, really good thing because at the moment, nylon is made using petroleum-based products, which of course are finite and are taken from the earth and do a lot of bad things. Whereas so, we can grow shrimp. We can grow shrimp. and um, So this is actually a renewable source of... A, a renewable starter chemical which we can use to make fibres, and so it's a renewable way to make clothing. Well, I'm just curious as to why shrimp would be really the base ingredient, because I would have thought um, there's a whole bunch of other things. Jellyfish made of um, jelly, but I guess that's better for peanut butter and sandwiches as opposed to clothing. <laughs> you can think that. However, um, it is the fact that the shrimp shells are quite flexible and hard, um, but still fibrous, that make them the excellent candidate because they're carbon-based. So they've already got the fibre chains, which is the really important part. Much like, I would imagine, plant cells also have long cellulose chains that give them their long, uh, their, their rigid structure and knots that we're very familiar with. That's right, and that's why a lot of clothes can be made out of plants as well. Yep. That's really interesting, and I, I look forward to wearing some shrimp at my... Uh, Next opportunity to go to a gala ball. So, we're going to pass along now to uh, Lauren, who's got, a, who's got a great story that's also in keeping with the uh, nautical, uh, aqu- aquatic theme. We're not pirates, Justin. <laughs> so, Lauren, what have you got for us today? Um, I have a common phenomenon that's found, not just amongst these guppy fish, which I will be talking about, but also amongst us humans. Okay, so, it's been found that a common behaviour of the guppy fish is for them to go around with their less attractive friends so they can so they can pick up mates. Is that why you invited me to your birthday? Yes. Oh. It's fine. That's why I got invo- um, invited to many different socials, social events. Oh. We here at YSA support inclusive environments <laughs> where you're welcome no matter how you look. Um, it's said to maximise their attractiveness, so most people now just put on makeup. They invite along friends as wingmen. And that's so, what Justin and I that. do. So, so it's like, it's so when you look at Lachlan, you say, "Wow, oh, 
he's reasonably attractive, I guess. But then oh. you look at Lauren and you're like, wow, she's incredibly attractive compared to Lachlan. So you're telling me the guppy fish kind of do a similar process. This, this mate, these look okay. Look, his, his dorsal fins are all right, you know. He's got a bit of spine length to him in, in the fish, I guess. He swims well. But then if you look at the other fish, it's like, wow, his tail's so much better than that one. Is that, I guess that's kind of what they're doing. But remember, fish have feelings too. Fish are friends, not food. That is a very, very valid point, Lauren. And now we're going to talk about issues and dilemmas that are currently apparent in science, in ethical prowess. So, Lockie, take it away. Okay, I have a question for you two, and that is, is it a good and ethical thing for me to be a scientist? Not me specifically, but um, I'm sure a lot of people are in my situation, they're going through university, um, or indeed high school, and they're trying to figure out a career. And um, So, I, I'm studying chemistry at the moment, and my question to you guys is, would my efforts, would I make the world a better place if I be a scientist? Or what if I spent my time being a humanitarian, being a volunteer, saving lives um, and, and feeding people or helping out war-torn countries, whether that would actually help people more? Why do you feel this way? Well, also to analysing what a scientist would do in their life. And we hear about the great scientists... But there are a lot of scientists who put in a lot of hard work every day, and um, at the end of it, they come up with a few niche discoveries or um, improvements, um, and they they help further the understanding of something in a small but significant way. Um, my question is, though, are those small differences more important than, say, a whole life devoted to saving lives? I guess it depends on how you view as saving lives, because yes, you can save lives um, volunteering and helping out that way. You can also save lives researching, for example, cancer research, which is another way you can look at saving lives and helping people that way. And I'd like to say that sometimes the really obvious life-saving discoveries are there in certain fields, where we're talking biology and chemistry, but there are other ways to be involved in life-saving research that isn't necessarily at the coalface and the forefront. And what I'm talking about here is things that improve people's quality of life. So I'm talking about interesting materials that might be developed, ways of generating electricity, ways of uh, working machinery that are also very useful to people, but at the same time, not what you might recall life-saving. And a lot of these times, these can come from big corporations, these can come from the space race or weapons programs that then get adapted to other applications in in life. So an example would be uh, when the space program was being developed, they needed lightweight metals that were super strong. And so things like titanium and magnesium and other alloys were made. Now, one of the biggest applications for those, aside from your mobile phone cases today, is artificial bones and limbs. And that's an incredible application for quality of life. That means that when old people break their hip and fall down now, they're not doomed to be crippled for the rest of their life. They can have a very good quality of life afterwards. So it's not necessarily just about saving the immediate life, but some of the long-term offshoots and benefits that occur from even what you might think is a really small and niche area of science or engineering has applications to improve people's lives in the long run in all different kinds of ways that you can't even foresee. 
I think that brings us back also to the idea of applied research versus fundamental research, where applied research is like, well, we need to try and save water. How can we save water? Um, while fundamental research is like, what is water? What can water do? What happens if we do this to water? And and sometimes, even if those immediate benefits aren't obvious, they can have far-reaching effects. Like, um, medical physics as a field came from just the study of physics, and now that's so very important. Yeah, so what that goes to is, is it important to understand the universe, or is it important just to have things that work well with what we've got? I guess it's coming from understanding is the basic point before applying it to other things that we need to focus on. And sometimes understanding will, uh, one area actually give us whole new applications that we didn't even think of. So it pushes the boundary in what called uh, uh, Kuhn calls uh, paradigm shifts, where we move beyond our understanding and have a whole new area open to us that we didn't know before. Take, for example, DNA work, um, which has opened up entire new fields that we didn't even think of that were possible before. Or for that matter, the discovery of antibiotics, which comes back again to your question of, is a niche little bit of research help the world as a whole? And I think if you look at the impact of things like antibiotics, metals development, and DNA, you'll find all sorts of examples of niche areas resulting in huge shifts in not just our understanding of science, but quality of life for people across the world. I think it reminds me of a quote by Einstein, which is, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. I think that was Einstein. That's Newton. If I've seen further, it is because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. And I think that's really, really beautiful, um, is that I guess a lot of hard work by a lot of people can suddenly avalanche or cascade in a paradigm shift. I mean, if you look at mathematics, which people see as, you know, sometimes not as applicable as other fields, um, mathematics goes into quantum theory, which goes into physics and chemistry, which in turn cascade into biology and medical... Or even further, what we're talking about earlier when we talk about mathematics applied to productivity, economics, life choices for people... A lot of the complex mathematics and physics gets applied to economics, gets applied to government decisions and financial decisions and investments, which can lead to the quality of life improvements for entire nations. So sometimes your niche area of science can, or mathematics for instance, can have a huge impact on baseball or cricket or football. And uh, that may not be a huge quality of life uh, improvement for us in our day-to-day lives, but it shows the power of obscure mathematical theory to be applied to other things as well and have great benefits. And I guess if we don't work hard to make those small step-by-step improvements, then you won't get any good improvements, any big improvements, because there won't be any research. That's right. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. We've been Justin, Lachlan, and Lauren. We hope you've enjoyed today's show. We've covered a range of things, ethics, crazy Kickstarters, and a variety of different topics. Our ending theme is composed by Picts, and we've used various music from contributions such as She's, Greg Beaumont, and super We've been the Young Scientists of Australia. If you want to find out more, head to our website, ysa.org.au.